good evening everyone to take two of toaster talk on the toast network uh this is the 37th episode that we follow f1 across and <clears throat> before we get into the nitties and gritties of what happened over this weekend and the previous one a quick hello to our familiar panelists narain vignesh and sunny hey guys hope all everyone is doing well all good hi now i don't know about this weekend but ferrari is probably still excited about the previous weekend at the lemor uh, the 24 hours of racing where they finally got a win and uh, i think charles leclerc was around there and vignesh i know you have thoughts about what he was thinking about at that weekend and how that could have played into this weekend yeah so 24 hours of lemon after 50 years ferrari coming going on to win the 24 hour race no mistakes at all picture perfect race from start to finish dominating the circuit not one which a ferrari f1 fan sees that often and so it's also rare for drivers to see this and that's when i believe that okay after the race charles would have gone to marnello made up some few calls ensure that okay the strategists are brought from the lemon hypercar division to the formula 1 division and i believe those are reaping the fruits considering that okay they were spot on with the strategies one stop best among the rest of the field mm-hmm. from 11th and 12th coming to 4th and 5th wonderful strategy nailed it good work charles good work ferrari Mm-hmm. Good work for Ferrari. Yes, they were good for the race. However, I still think there's room for improvement there. Uh, for qualifying, uh, they missed a trick. Charles wanted to be on slicks for Q2, and I think if they had uh, followed Charles' advice and put him on slicks, there's a good chance Charles would have got through into Q3 and been on the front row. And from the front row, I think Ferrari had the pace to be on the podium. Charles would have been on the podium. Well, all of that's wishful thinking at the moment for Ferrari. Yeah. but uh, narin let's hear out from your perspective key highlights from the race uh the start of the race was spectacular in, in my opinion where uh, hamilton overtook and that was a brilliant overtake by hamilton we were able to see uh, the good old hamilton but pretty much um, except for a few uh few cars that you know gave kisses to the wall it was uh, it was still a boring race like usual uh, but uh, the all the only driver that impressed me throughout the entire race was um, the williams albon who came p7 the one of his best finishes so far and he was also challenging perez who is second in the championship even though they 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 had a good amount of gap in between if you see the entire race result p6 is perez and p7 is all albon so that's the difference that you see in a driver who is made a commendable efforts to be on the top 10 apart from that it was a good race like and like how sunny said if and only if ferrari strategists had thought little charles would have been on the podium i mean while we, we don't know. say we are bored about uh... you know someone making winning a habit we do need to take cognizance of the fact that red bull hit its 100 win with this race and max verstappen got his 41st remember he's a 25 year old who got his 41st race win 
and making him on par with the great Aitan Sena himself. Obviously, he did make the race a little more exciting by unfortunately hitting a bird. While Red Bull gave him wings, he took away someone's precious wings away. So rest in peace, little bird. But Sunny, from your perspective, what do you think about Red Bull's performance today? Especially the fact that Perez wasn't up there. Absolutely amazing. I think Max Verstappen is really driving at a different level. Everybody, uh, everybody in the paddock says, even Fernando, who was runner-up for this race, says the, the car is too good. The driver is too good. He's always encouraging the drivers. Everything seems to be just nailed. The pit stops, how could I forget the pit stops? Always you'll see sub-two-second pit stops. You'll never see a, or very, very rarely will you see a botched pit stop. Everything is just working in harmony and synchrony. They just seem to be working on a different level. And, and what can you say? that They just seem to have everything so, um, so working in order. It's like a well-oiled machine. However, I would like to um, highlight this issue of um, uh, Sergio Perez and these rumors that you know maybe he, his, his seat at Red Bull is... Um, that is urging for wins. As we have seen in the past, and in fact, even in other teams as well, when you have two drivers that are taking points, points of each other's competing for the same victories and uh, perhaps fighting each other on track, that is a very precarious situation for the team. There is just a collision, uh, 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 a collision waiting to happen. And when that happens, it becomes a big headache for the team to manage that situation. So yes, uh, Checo is not performing as well as he could be and as well as he should be. There's no doubt about that. But if you think about it from Red Bull's perspective, do they want a driver who is uh, challenging Max more closely? Probably not. And that is the reason why I think Checo is going to be at Red Bull for the foreseeable future. Well, that makes sense. And uh, Red Bull isn't really being impacted by the Constructors' Championship. No one's going to really overtake them, so they'll be happy with the status quo. But Getting into Alonso, you know, with Aston Martin, all the efforts that Vettel's probably put in last year, you know, seems to be paying off for Alonso. He, he's enjoying the race, he's enjoying the car, and that's showing up in the results. Vignesh, what are your thoughts on Aston Martin's to, performance, especially with Alonso? You know, uh, to say that, okay, Aston Martin have been the front runners is an understatement. They went from being called the pink Mercedes Mercedes being called a black Aston Martin. Now, that's the difference which they have shown to the entire field. And it's not only an expertise of what the car they built or how they're built. It's the driver's expertise. They brought in Vettel, got in valuable experiences, judgments, developments, understanding the uh, program, understanding how to be a front runner. And then after his departure, getting in Alonso, a wonderful move. Not to say that, okay, all rest laurels on the drivers itself because even in spite of the same car, Lance Stroll is not able to perform that well. Said so. Understand that, okay, the way Aston Martin have invested in, they have got technicians from Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari, name the team and they have got someone from that team inside the Aston Martin garage. Now, it shows that, okay, they are really wanting to come 
into the front of the grid. And that's what Lawrence Stroll's vision was to challenge the front runners and to go for a win. And that is being envisioned in the form of Fernando Alonso being the front runner, taking podiums. I believe this is the sixth out of the eight podiums which he has got in the year. That is as um, um, one of the commentators were t- uh, telling that this is the double the number of podiums which Fernando has got in the last six years. And that shows the might of Aston Martin. So clearly a great performance there from Aston Martin and Alonso specifically. Uh, should we say this is a resurgence of Mercedes also looking at, they did lock out uh, the second row, third and fourth place, but then obviously uh, George Russell made a mistake, which turned out to be costly and he couldn't finish off the race. Uh, but Hamilton did get on to the podium and this is one of the, I would say, the heaviest podiums in terms of number of combined race wins. So, you know, Sunny, what are your thoughts on Mercedes' performance today? Vivek, if you don't mind, before we get to Mercedes, can we go uh, to backtrack to Aston Martin? I think one elephant in the room regarding Aston Martin is the performance of Lance Stroll. I see two scenarios happening. One is Lance Stroll eventually catches up and becomes championship material. And second, one fine day, Lance Stroll will realize that, uh, wake up and say, maybe it, this is out of my league. Only these two scenarios can happen because you can't have people like Martin Whitmarsh coming in and the senior most engineers from the other teams coming in and, and working around the clock to build this team and a chronic underperforming driver. So, Vignesh, since you spoke about Aston Martin, in your opinion, which one of the two scenarios will happen? Will Lance Stroll step up to the occasion or will he one day realize that this is out of his league? The only possible scenario which I see is Lawrence Stroll uh, telling Alonso, you're performing too much, you may leave and let's Lance continue. No, we can't do that because if it was a nepotism, uh, family-run kind of business, then yes. But now with people like Martin Whitmarsh as your group's uh, chief executive or some uh, some senior title, as well as other engineers coming in, and Aston Martin is a publicly listed company, you can't just do that. Is not this is not Force India. This is not even Racing Point. This is now Aston Martin, a serious business. They are responsible to the shareholders. They are responsible to the other senior management. They will be asking questions. Yep. No, my guess is the Stroll family will move out of it then. Yep. Dad and son. They, yeah, they made profits. Yeah. They are business people. They'll move out. That's something. The only thing that I can think of is Vijay Malaya will be happy. <laughs> Which is the next Indian public holiday. I haven't heard from him. <laughs> yeah. But, now about Mercedes. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Now, Vivek, you, you, know, you asked me about Mercedes. As we pointed out in the last race, uh, Barcelona has historically been a very strong track for Mercedes. Even the W13, last year's car, which we know was not up to the mark at all. Mercedes themselves said so. Even that car in Barcelona was a high-performing car. Russell was leading the race. Hamilton was at one point the fastest uh, man on track last year. So we knew that this upgraded package after Mercedes had worked on this for such a long time, we knew and were expecting this uh, upgraded performance to translate um, 
uh, into real performance in Barcelona. And we also pointed out last time that we have to wait and see for a few more races whether this is really going to be Mercedes as the second best team going forward. As we saw over here in Canada, uh, yes, Canada has been a good track for Mercedes. There have been other conditions as well. It was it was very cold today. The the teams were able to work the tires better, were able to get an advantage. That is the reason why Ferrari were able to run a one stop strategy, even though they were not they have not been historically good with regards to tire wear and tire performance. So there are so many other factors that we are yet to see. So although the upgraded package is good and Mercedes are confident and we can also see that the, the pace of Mercedes is good, they are, they're pretty much on par with Aston Martin. Ferrari also were in the mix. Had, had Charles and, and Carlos qualified higher up the grid, which they should have, I think it would have been very close to, uh, between the three of them. Um, it, at the beginning of the year, you probably you could say Aston Martin was clearly the second best team. There have been times when Ferrari have clearly been the second best team, especially last year and, and um, at times this year. But now, as of this race in Canada, we cannot tell conclusively and definitively which is the second best team. Whoever was in front or whoever managed to get the tires working or whoever happened to qualify highest, I think that is the team that will uh, be the sec uh, finish best of the rest. So is Mercedes back? Yes. But are they clearly the second best team? I think it's very close between Aston Martin and Ferrari. I mean, with the race and the racing order, obviously there seems to be some sort of uh, folks settling down into your point. There's a mix up as the track to track that we get to. But for the Canadian Grand Prix, I think the most interesting part of the weekend would be the qualifying. And the rains have been very helpful in creating and mixing up the order. Narayan, I wanted to hear your thoughts on the qualifying and, you know, the fact that teams had different tires and maybe for our viewers, you can just highlight what are the types of tires that the team can pick up and then we can deep dive into the qualifying results itself. Okay. Uh, so every team is given uh, sets of hards, medium and soft for the qualifying. Let's not delve deep into how many hards and inters and softs we have because we're just going into the basics. So you have three sets of tires basically, and you can choose between any three different set of tires. Uh, it was like that previously. Now the, the rules have changed. So usually uh, the between the three sets of tires, the drivers usually go with the soft tires because the soft tires, even though it grains faster, you can set a faster slap when compared to the mediums or the hards. So when it comes to the qualifying, obviously, if you want a faster time to be set, you obviously should go for the soft tires. But yesterday or the day before yesterday during the qualifying, the scenario was a little different because uh, you can't go for the soft, medium or the hard tires, which is obviously slick. Slick in general means there is no treat. It is a flat tire. So with the flat tire, what happens is that uh, during, uh, during a wet race, you happen to see something called as aquaplaning. What is aquaplaning? Uh, the tire is not on the surface of the road. It is on the surface of the water, which means that you will slide more. That is the reason you have something called as inters or wet tires. Inter is that uh, from, uh, from, I think, Colin Smith, uh, with each RPM, it takes out some 100 or 200 liters of water for the inters, and it's more on the wets. So that means that uh, there's no aquaplaning, and you get, um, you get more surface contact with the 
tire on the road. But the problem is that you can't get faster laps, obviously, because the tires, uh, the, the track is wet, so there's the tires. So this, but then if you see, every racer wanted to uh, set the fastest time, which means that uh, at some part during the entire qualifying, it was raining, not raining, so the track was drying up, again it was raining. People, uh, many people tried to use those opportunities and they wanted to set a faster time so they can be more up on the grid. But uh, it was a gamble for many teams. It was not a gamble for many teams. People who played really well with the strategies went up the order, who they, who were unable to play, went down other, like how Sunny clearly pointed out uh, about Charles missing out on the slick tires. So it is all about uh, what kind of a tires. It depends on, number one, or what kind of a, what kind of a strategy you would like to do for the next race, depending on all the other conditions, weather conditions, your tire perform your tire performance, your tire management skills, the car in general, and also how you are able to perform on that day on that race track with the tires given. So it's a gamble, a strategy, and pure common sense. Many people were able to do, some people were not able to do. This is about qualifying and tires. Thanks for sharing that background on the types of tires and how that played a role. Clearly, Hulk had a great partial qualifying weekend and there was a lot of ups and downs on the actual order. And we had teams who were into Q3 after a long time and really happy about it. And folks on P1 were like, stop the race now, stop the, sorry, stop the qualifying now because this is the best result you could have ever seen. Vignesh, what are your thoughts on some of the surprises from the qualifying weekend? Yeah, for me, the biggest surprise was okay, Alexander Albon going as uh, uh, finishing uh, the Q2 as the leader. Now, you see that okay, this entire strategy, right? It was a replica of what I had seen in Canada 2018. Jane Walsh pulled the same strategy. When he was in Mercedes, make sure that Mercedes go into Q3 without any problem, with just one lap in their belt. And that is what Williams did. The same man took the same gamble, got the same result. There is one thing which I liked about Alban was that as the commentators were telling, especially Crofty was telling, right? There was just 11 centimeters of difference between Alban's, the way the dry patch and the wet patch. If Alban had split 11 centimeters, he could have crashed into the barriers any time during the quality, which shows the amount of perfection the drivers had to use that tiny dry patch to get in the lap times. Similarly said so, changing conditions, Hulkenberg, as all said, all wanted him to get the pole position. But yeah, he missed out on pole position. Uh, but yeah, finally, everyone felt bad for him getting a penalty. With that said, so as a viewer, right, around I believe in the year 2019, there was a discussion of artificially creating rains to create this mixed environment. And I, today, am a staunch supporter of that. Seeing the quality, probably if they had, uh, it, if it was drizzling in the, what we say, the actual uh, race, it would have been even more exciting. So if FIA and Formula One guys are watching our podcast, 
please do go on with making this environment artificially we would love some wonderful drama i mean they don't have to do it artificially right they could just move to bangalore uh mm -hmm. but with that yeah, so what are your thoughts on the qualifying Mm. Yeah, I think um, I just want to echo what Vignesh said about uh, Alex Alban. Um, a very good performance. They were on the right tires at the right time, and also very good, uh, very well highlighted by Naren about how the different kinds of tires and how they work as well. It's very important for our viewers who are new to Formula One to know why slick tires are faster than intermediate tires and why intermediate tires are faster than wet tires. It's because of the tread, and of course, the more rubber you have on the road, the faster you can potentially move. And that's why the slick tires, and that's very well highlighted by by Naren. And oh, I think it was a very good qualifying because of those mixed conditions. You had to be at the right uh, on the right tire at the right time, which is very difficult to to really kind of predict. And I think it was, I think, one of the best qualifying sessions. It's almost on par with uh, Monaco. As another interesting thing that did happen in the qualifying was, and especially those who saw the qualifying results and then saw the race order. There was a big shakeup again, primarily because of number of penalties that were given out for impeding. Vignesh, what are your thoughts on those? Okay, um, for those of our viewers who don't understand, okay, why the drivers get a penalty for impeding? Understand that okay, you are in an express highway going at around eighty miles an hour, and the car in front of you suddenly slows down. The reflexes time for you, which you get, is just barely seconds and if you don't make the right move you are going to crash into him and it's going to be a big amount of collision in order to avoid this and in order to penalize drivers doing such harsh decisions you have penalties mainly in terms of grip penalties for those who had watched the quali you would know that one person who was being most talked about after yuki sinoda was carlos sainz the point is the reason why he got a penalty was mainly because he was trying to start his out fast lap after an out lap so an out lap is once you come out you do a lap and then you go for a fast lap there was just 20 seconds for him to reach the checkered flag or else the quali would have been over for science there was a car i believe it's an alpine which was to the left of uh, carlos science he had given uh, a space for him considering alpine was on the fast run this ensured that when science was trying to start his run gasly was coming at a very high speed from behind making it precarious for science and gasly and science was parked in the middle of the road per se and that is why science got a penalty similarly if you see that there have been many such examples where drivers were inadvertently forcing other people out of quali or out of that session mainly for their own advantage as rightly echoed by carlos sainz every driver was there for himself and this is where the penalties were struck out and of course mm. it was a dangerous behavior not that okay we should be appreciated about but then come on understanding that okay every driver wants to achieve the best and also all the drivers were in control i do believe some of the penalties given were harsh well <laughs> i think this year there's been a constant theme about fia 
either going to the extreme of being extremely harsh or pedantic about giving out uh, warnings and penalties to the other extreme of for similar penalties, not just giving a blind eye. So we're still trying to figure out what their center of focus is and how are they defining that they can be consistent across. With that, just, before we wrap up for this particular just episode. One thing. Yeah, one Vivek, point. just yeah. one thing, okay. Vivek. The pedantic of uh, FIA, right, also comes in their terminology. For example, Lando Norris was given a penalty for unsportsmanlike behavior, whereas it should have been for safety car infringement. Now, that unsportsmanlike behavior seems like a big word. The only thing was Carlos, uh, sorry, Lando Norris had, uh, I think so, he had made a mistake during the safety car where he had slowed down considerably in order to ensure that uh, McLaren get a double pit stop is executed properly. For that reason, he had slowed down considerably. It's a safety car infringement, not a unsportsman to be aware. So that pedantic also comes in the text given for the penalties. Hmm. Yeah, Sunny, your last thoughts before we wrap up? You know, Vivek, last, last thoughts before you wrap up. A couple of points I'd like to just mention. One very quick one on the qualifying. You know, we it's ironic that we think that this uh, qualifying session in Canada was so interesting, despite the fact that the pole position margin is the biggest margin that we have seen in the last three years. And despite that, we still say this is a fantastic qualifying session. Verstappen was on pole by 1.25 seconds. And we're still saying it's an amazing qualifying session. It's incredible. But I want to really highlight that despite the mixed grid, um, uh, gentlemen and all of our viewers, despite the mixed grid and the mouth-watering prospect that we had for good racing and exciting racing, there were actually very few overtakes this time. It was really surprisingly hard to overtake, actually. And I think one of the reasons is because of the nature of the track, just the last race of we had more than 150 plus overtakes, I believe it was. It was one of the most, the highest overtakes. And the very next race, no overtakes. And the reason for that is because in Barcelona, they tweaked the last corner to make it a fast corner. Whereas in Canada, in, in Montreal now, you'll see that all of the overtaking zones are after slow corners. Most of Montreal, in fact, is slow corners and long straights. So because the cars are moving slowly during the corner and then have to get onto the DRS zone, which is the fast straight, they have to create the momentum. Whereas in Barcelona, they already have the momentum. So I think this is an interesting point for us racing fans and even the uh, future racetracks. When you want to create overtaking zones, you want to have your zones immediately positioned fast corners so that the cars have the momentum. And not after slow corners, where they have to create the momentum with, and with uh, less speed, the slipstream effect and the DRS effect will be lower because the speed is lower. But I mean, I, I would like to highlight that the quality of overtakes, though there were few, were brilliant on the track, especially if you, uh, you know, the Alonso, Hamilton overtaking Alonso in the first lap itself, and then Alonso getting that back after quite a few laps. And then even in the midfield, there were some brilliant overtakes. So I think Montreal, while they had had lesser overtakes, I think the quality of overtakes were brilliant. That said... As we wrap up, you know, Red Bull has having a brilliant streak this year. And we are heading unless towards, you're Nick DeVries and Kevin. And we are heading towards their home ground for the next race. 
So I'm sure hopes are really high that they continue on that streak. Seems to be the case so far. Questions have already been asked of Max Verstappen that does he expect a clean sweep of Red Bull this season? And historically, he said, I don't even want to talk about it. Now he's like, you know, maybe. So there's a lot more confidence riding in the Red Bull uh, you know, garage itself on how well a car they've designed, how well a driver they have, and how well the strategy, everything's playing out perfectly well. Uh, while that, whether he cracks 100 out of 100, we don't know. We'll stay tuned. But there is a lot more excitement this year in from second place onwards towards the end, right? There is so many people moving up and down. It just shows that all the upgrades that the teams have come up with have at least brought all the other cars much closer in the combination of drivers plus strategy plus cars, right? Uh, taking all three together, all the cars have gotten a lot more closer, making it a lot more exciting. And hence, to your point, Sunny, while you know Red Bull ran away with the qualifying, with Max Verstappen having like a massive, massive lead over the rest, I think it was exciting because we still had a mix-up amongst all the other constructors to decide the second, third, and so on and so forth. And as you went from Q1, Q2, Q3, you saw players that you're not used to seeing. And I think that's what's kept everyone excited to sort of keep Max where he is. He's in his own zone. We all agree. But how everyone else is playing out. And with that, wishing all our viewers a lot of thanks for staying tuned. Please throw in your thoughts, comments, on the show, questions that you have, if you'd like to be on the show and, you know, all our panelists would love some love. So do send it over to them and thank you all of you for taking your time out to discuss everything about Canada and we shall move on to another continent soon as we hit Austria to listen to the sound of music or F1 in this case. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, guys.